Welcome to the show. God, I think I should show a little more enthusiasm for the greeting. <laughs> That'd be like somebody going, answering the door when you show up and just be like, oh, it's you. <laughs> okay, whatever. Come on in. Uh, my name is Rick Leaf, and this is uh, the podcast Being Creative. This is uh, where we explore stories and experiences of people from a variety of industries and occupations so that we can discover the innovative solutions to the problem, common problems that we all face as we tap into our creative talents, gifts, and abilities. Holy, see, all I needed to do is start talking about something that I cared about, and all of a sudden, you know, the energy and the speed at which I uh, talk uh, picks up, and that's just kind of the way it is. But, um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I love stories. I think you love stories. We all do from the time we're little kids until we're elders. And I think storytelling is such a powerful way to share knowledge and experience and um, sort of transcend, I guess, the, the specifics of whatever industry or situation it might come from, because it gives us a context and a way to access some of the bigger ideas and uh, things that that flow around between us. Like right now, my dog just got back from a walk and just came right in here as I'm filming. So, you know, as I'm recording. So that's great. You know, if you heard that little jingle, that was what that was. Puggles are also interested in stories, as long as those stories have to do with food. Uh, this episode is uh, called uh, Old Dogs and New Tricks. And it comes, it came to me um, to talk about this because uh, it, well, it reminded me of a story. I'm going to start my story in Winnipeg. This is many, many years ago. Uh, I was put in touch with a director from the National Film Board of Canada, and we were going to work on a project together, and we did all these pre-production meetings and everything else. And finally, he said, let's just go out on a location. I'm going to mic you up. I'm going to record, you know, and we'll see if this whole idea works. And uh, so we got out there. I'm on location, all mic'd up. He gets everything going. And he's like, all right first question he's like what pissed you off and I was so unexpecting of this question I'm like what and he said man almost everybody who starts looking for solutions and different ways of doing things it starts by them getting pissed off with the way things are so whatever the subject was that we were working on he's like what pissed you off and that came back to me right now uh, recently because this whole idea of like, you know, when I hear someone say, I'm an old dog, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and I'm an old dog. I hate that. Man, it pisses me off because it might not be easy for you to learn. You might not naturally want to learn, but the idea that you would define yourself as someone limited by your ambition, by your potential that you would say, no, I'm an old dog. I'm defining myself as someone who's limited and unable to change with the times that, you know, take all the new tricks off the table. I, they're not for me. I'm a Luddite. I am stuck here. I'm going to be left behind or whatever. Or you just become one of these people online who are just crabbing and bitching about everything because it's all about change and it's all about innovation and new ideas and new ways of looking at the, th at the things and problems and whatever. You're not an old dog. That is your, um, that's your fear talking. 
That is your insecurity talking. There, as, as my one friend often says, uh, you know, there's lots of reasons, no excuses. Yeah, you might be older. Yeah, you might not find it, you know, naturally um, the, the easiest thing in the world, but you are capable of infinitely more than you give yourself credit for. So I realized that pissed me off and I had to do this I, because you are unique. So am I. Your skills are necessary uh, for whatever you are tackling right now, whatever project you're working on, whatever thing you're trying to learn, whatever you're trying to accomplish, uh, your skills are necessary. So be confident being you. So I'm going to grab a bunch of things that I wrote for uh, uh, a, a new thing called the Guidebook to Creative Excellence and Opportunity. I'm going to touch on a few of the things that really inspired me, including there was this study by a Ken Blanchard company that showed that the average organization forfeits over $1 million a year in untapped potential. So imagine the difference a $1 million investment would make in your situation to, the, to problem solving, to conflict resolution, team building, client services, marketing, content creation, whatever it is that you're working on. Because creativity has something to do with everything. The real question is how much untapped creative capital are you leaving on the table each year? And what is it costing you? And imagine the difference it would make in your life if you could be, I don't know, 10 20, 50% more creative. I mean, you know it would be a game changer that would flip the script and it would make you more confident and capable of facing changes and the challenges in your life. Um, there was a number of years ago I was reading Eric Hoffer and this quote jumped out at me. He says, in times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Man, when I read that, I just burst out, that's not going to be me. I literally said it. I shouted it in my house, which freaked my family out because we we're all just relaxing around the fireplace. But it was an emotional reaction. I, I recognized that you either make a commitment to be a lifelong learner through all of the stages of your life and your career and your relationships, or you decide at some point to give up and let the world pass you by. Uh, somebody named Robert Goldman, he's a PhD, he describes uh, the times that we're living in as the exponential age and describes the impact of the speed and scope of the disruption uh, we're experiencing. Um, this is him. Uh, Uber is just a software tool. They don't own any cars, but they're now the biggest taxi company in the world. Airbnb is now the biggest hotel company in the world, although they don't own any, they don't own any properties. Using AI, uh, artificial intelligence, IBM Watson provides legal advice within seconds with 90% accuracy compared with 70% accuracy when done by humans. Watson also helps nurses diagnose cancer four times more accurately than human nurses. Goldman makes uh, predictions on the disruption of autonomous cars, solar production, and 3D printing. In fact, did you know that in China they have already 3D printed a complete six-story office building? So 
His conclusion is any idea designed for success in the 20th century is doomed to fail in the 21st. So let's agree right now, you and I are not destined to be beautifully equipped to deal with a world that has passed us by. We are not old dogs. We don't have to take all the new tricks off the table. We are capable of learning and adapting and rising to face the challenges today and every day for the rest of our friggin' lives. But to do that, we need to be creative. We have to learn to be lifelong learners, to recognize the value of our creative talents and abilities and discover the contributions they allow us to make. So from my personal experience over the last 20 years, the creative process is the ideal environment to learn these lessons. This is why I love going into schools, whether I'm working with uh, students, you know, from junior kindergarten, senior kindergarten to grade one or all the way up through, you know, grade 12. And I do lots of projects with adults as well, whether they're in university or just at an adult learning level. The creative process, and this is definitely coming from my own experience, you know, Professionally, I've been part of an organization called Tribe of One. It's a national artist collective of indigenous and settler artists and musicians and painters and slam poets. I've done this for over 20 years. I've been part of it. It's had many different incarnations. It has absolutely been the most exciting thing that I've ever been part of. It's such a huge privilege for me um, to be in that place where the creative process is constantly swirling. It's A, helping me to identify what my role is, how my talents and gifts and abilities fit with a particular project, but it also gives me this incredible opportunity to learn that you know, my weaknesses are opportunities for me to work with other people, uh, people who are gifted in other ways. And so my weaknesses where maybe um, I would have felt insecure uh, that, you know, that I wasn't strong in this particular area. Why should I try to half-ass my way through designing a book cover or a CD cover or a poster or a website when there's a graphic designer who does that? Why would I try to take photos with my phone when I know photographers who that's their gift that's their ability in whatever area I'm weak in it's somebody else is strong in and that's why the creative process is amazing and it needs you know to become more and more a part of our um hopefully it will become more and more a part of our day-to-day -day lives and the way we do business and the way we live and you know that's tribe of one that's what I do professionally but I've lived in community uh for probably most of the half of the last 20, 25 years. Um, that's been the personal communal level. Um, so lots of community, lots of opportunity for me to see the creative process and learn from it. I want to dive into five um, problems of why we don't kind of reach our creative excellence and see these as opportunities. So just jumping right into the first problem number one, the lack of perception and awareness. You know, one of the biggest problems many people have with change is that it challenges the way we've always done things, the way we think about things, and most importantly, the way we think about ourselves. This is 
particularly true for someone who's been successful within the existing structures and systems. And if that describes you, then you know that change can often feel like an attack. Like, for instance, if you're a taxi driver, Uber feels like an attack. If you're a lawyer, IBM Watson feels like an attack because suddenly the way you've always done something is being critiqued and criticized. And you might really like the way things have been going because it worked for you. And in that situation, it's pretty hard not to take it personally, but it's not. It's a system. It's a structure. It's a formula. It was probably the best answer anybody could come up with to that problem at that time. So, A, don't take it personally. And for goodness sake, don't tell yourself, um, don't let yourself become some beautifully, someone who's beautifully equipped to inherit a world that no longer exists. Don't die on that hill. You know, because we are able to change. You are able to change and adapt much faster than the systems and structures that we create. You know, as the problems change, so do the solutions. On the flip side, when you realize your success doesn't depend on keeping everything exactly the way it's always been done and doing business as usual, then change offers possibility of flipping the script. Either way, becoming a learner who can inherit and will inherit the earth in times of change comes down to a mindset. Creativity, it's a mindset and it's an openness to learning through all stages of life. You know, I just listened to somebody talk the other day and they were saying, you know, the common thread they find between everybody who is successful is not intelligence, it's not creativity, uh, it's, it was a whole bunch of things. He's like, what he's discovered is the, the common thread for everybody who's uh, successful, regardless of their industry, is a bias toward action. A bias toward action. And I thought, that sums up... Um, how I feel about the people I surround myself with. Uh, the people I work with are very different. Maybe they come from different cultures or artistic disciplines or, or whatever. Um, but the people that have always, that I've been drawn to, that have been drawn to me, that is the thing. That it, it's this bias to action, to figure stuff out. So um, that's huge. That's huge. Um, let me see. What else was I? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, w I was saying uh, about this travel one thing, you know, professionally, um, most of my work in the last 20 years has been in the cultural industry and the cultural industry, as you may or may not know, has been in a constant state of disruption basically the entire time. I started my career as a recording artist in the 90s. And what was interesting about the timing of when I started is that in the 70s and 80s, it used to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to record and manufacture and distribute uh, albums and records. But by the early 90s, mid 90s, technology had advanced to the point where people could set up a, a home studio comparable to any of those from the 70s and 80s. And suddenly artists could record an album for $20,000. Now, still significant price, but, you know, fraction of what it used to be. But now these days, every laptop comes with free recording and editing software that makes it possible for anyone to produce an album in their bedroom. So for thousands of musicians and songwriters like me, this industry disruption opened up doors to career opportunities and revenue streams that never existed before. But the change 
also meant that most, if not all, of those established recording studios went out of business, and the engineers and producers were, were scrambling to find ways to broker their experience and education into emerging markets. That disruption, right? The solution to your success and probably survival is to train your eyes in times like these to see yourself and the world differently so that when the foundation of your industry drops out from under you, you don't go down with the ship. Um, I would, you know, as we've tried to figure it out as an organization what to do, we, um, we, we have this little exercise that we do as a group that helps everybody see their creative skill set with new eyes. And we found it to be a really helpful first step in connecting ourselves to the solution rather than just seeing uh, a given situation as the problem that someone, quote, uh, should do something about. So whether it's now or later, I'd love you to sit down and start a list. This, this is what we do. This is a, an exercise in self-assessment. So often we compartmentalize ourselves. We view certain abilities as relating to work and others to hobbies and others to family, etc. And corporate culture, for lack of a better word, can further embed this department-centric way of thinking. So this exercise is an opportunity to approach yourself and your creative capital uh, with new eyes. List your gifts, your talents, abilities, education, experience, your strengths and your weaknesses. What are you naturally gifted at? The gift of gab? Multitasking? Are you great at starting things? Are you great at completing things? Are, are you a visionary and love talking about the big picture? Are you a details person? Uh, administrative? Are you organized? Maybe even a bit neurotic? You get it all down. From driving heavy machinery to riding a motorbike, knitting, being a strong swimmer, somebody with a natural sense of rhythm, a great dancer. You know, do you remember trivia? Are you good at puzzles? Put it down. Don't worry about where it fits. Like, I grew up on a farm in the Canadian prairies driving heavy trucks and tractors and lots of heavy machinery, which is a world away from the world I live in and didn't seem like any of those experiences would be relevant to my career as a producer or a recording artist until the day our band booked our first national tour and we couldn't afford a driver for the gigantic motorhome for the tour. So suddenly, all of those hours I had spent driving grain trucks on the farm was a super relevant skill that I was able to provide to the band. Never saw that happen before, and there it was. So write down anything and everything that comes to your mind. Get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper or a screen where you can see it. And you can add to this list over the coming weeks as more things come to mind. But the benefit for doing this exercise is compiling a list that allows you to see the wealth of resources that you bring to the table. You know, blurring the lines that you use to compartmentalize yourself will also help you see that you're capable in ways that you never even recognized. This, I think, is the first step in discovering that you are more powerful than you've ever given yourself credit for. So that's number one, where I would start. Number two, uh, the problem number two, a distorted view of ourselves and others. Um, <laughs> I, a number of years ago, I was traveling with Canada's, uh, I was, uh, Canada's most successful, famous uh, lesbian folk group called the Weird Sisters. And I'd been hired to play guitar for the tour. And we're in the back of their tour bus somewhere between one festival and the next. And one of the sisters looks at me and says, 
You know what I hate about you singer-songwriters? It's all me, 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 me. Can't you get over yourself long enough to write about someone or something else? And, uh, and everybody laughed, and inwardly I cringed a bit because there was definitely more than a kernel of truth to what she'd said. I mean, the Weird Sisters were famous for writing about social and environmental issues, and this was kind of how she felt as a songwriter about the navel-gazing navel solo artists or singer-songwriters who only wrote about themselves, which was really, I'd have to say, honestly very true about me, you know? And... I have to be completely honest. That flippant, sarcastic, funnily biting comment changed my life because it changed how I looked at the world. I realized my gifts and abilities as a songwriter, storyteller, media producer could be used to help other people tell their stories, which has ultimately led to producing projects with organizations and schools and working with thousands of students each year, which I've done now for about 12 years, to help them tell their story. You know, when we have a distorted view of ourselves, we can't help but have a distorted view of others. If we feel insecure and adequate, then everyone else's success will seem to come at our expense and we'll never be able to be generous or celebrate and support them. And on, in, a, in an organization or community setting, this breeds resentment, competition, and backbiting, and hamstrings, creative thinking, and problem solving, and conflict resolution, and keeps teams locked in these agonizing feedback loops. So the solution to this problem is gaining a new perspective. Making that list of your creative capital was the first step. The second is learning to see the challenges we're facing with new eyes. These challenges could be professional caused by technology disrupting our industry, or they could be personal challenges because of our age or stage of life. This is, this is another, so I want to share another uh, exercise or organization Travel One uses because it's powerful. It's a powerful extra, uh, experience to discover how other people view the same thing. It's like that story, uh, Oh my God, I'm sure I heard about it in, in elementary, you know, where a group of people were blindfolded and they were asked to describe an elephant and the part of the elephant that they were touching is all that they could describe. And it didn't seem like it had anything to do with the perceptions of those around them until everybody take their blindfold off and realizes that the different views and opinions are unique depending on where they were in relation to the elephant slash problem. So if you have an organization with different departments uh, or areas, it's easy for people to feel like the problems belong to somebody else. So this exercise was inspired by that sarcastic uh, weird sister who said, can't you get over yourself long enough to think about someone else? I'd like you to start another list and write the challenges you're facing right now, personally, professionally, as an organization, maybe as an industry, and don't try to keep professional and personal challenges separate. Let the process of identifying the challenges in your life mix. I mean, often we want to keep them separate. And we even imagine that they have nothing to do with each other. But they have everything to do with each other because they're connected through you. You're the key that's going to unlock this. It's not somebody else. The solutions that you're going to discover are unique to you. This isn't about learning the latest formula to lose weight or get rock hard abs. This is a creative process that is unique and will change as you do. The benefit that comes from completing this exercise is that you begin to see yourself uh, 
as more capable than you ever imagined. You move the unspoken fear and anxiety that builds under the surface in times of change and disruption, and it brings it out into the open where you can see what you're really afraid of. You could give it a face, you can name it. This exercise helps remove the blindfold that limits how we understand and see the problems we're facing. So I think that's, that's number two. Number three, the problem disconnect between perception and reality kind of same thing but you know years ago I was hosting a, a TV show that um, it's called the artist next door we were exploring the unique characteristics of you of distinct neighborhoods through the cultural life of the artists and writers and musicians and painters and performers who lived in that particular neighborhood there was this one neighborhood okay this again this isn't Winnipeg I'm, let's just get rid of some of the filters right this was in Winnipeg. One of the filters with this, this neighborhood was uh, St. Boniface, uh, the, the Francophone uh, neighborhood in the city of Winnipeg. It's super strong cultural identity. I thought it was going to be the easiest episode of the season, and it turned out probably to be the hardest. Hardly anyone came. Those that did were pretty subdued. And when you're producing a TV show, what you want is vibrancy and life being expressed through Anything, laughter, smiling, singing, clapping, dancing, not a glum bunch with their arms folded across their chests. So when I brought it up to the one of the event producers afterwards, he explained that it was a common problem in their neighborhood and a product of us versus them thinking. He said, when people feel like it's them against the world, they're always defensive. They're always insecure and they see resources as being very limited which leads to them feeling like anybody else's success is coming at their expense. If you've, if you've ever been on a committee or uh, in a staff meeting or worked in an organization with somebody like this, you know firsthand how awful it is. This perception is a killer. It kills creative, uh, creative ideas and innovation and the ability to collaborate creatively with others. So the solution to that problem is connecting our creative skill set to the roles and responsibilities necessary for success. So here's where the lists you've created start to come together. Hopefully, there have been a few surprising moments along the way. Maybe you're surprised at the amount of creative capital that you have. Maybe you've been surprised at how manageable the challenges are when you really identify them. This is my thing, man. I wake up at three in the morning and just kind of nameless, faceless uh, fears and insecurities start to just like manifest themselves in the dark and I never get back to sleep. And so for me to be able to identify them and recognize them um, is huge. And, and the exercise helps us recognize the abundance in our own life. You bring your lists together and see if you can connect some dots. So the point of this analysis is to get some of that unused creative potential that you've left on the table back into play. Identify your strengths, identify your weaknesses, start to identify the, the strengths of other team members in your organization, maybe ways that they're not being used or implemented, particularly those who are gifted differently from you. It's so common and natural for us to avoid those areas that we're weakest in. And if you're working with somebody and they're strong in that area, and you're constantly trying to avoid that conversation, avoid that subject, what you're actually doing is stealing from them. You're robbing from them the opportunity to bring the full creative potential that they could bring to the organization or the problem. Uh, you're, you're basically sidelining them. And so this is why this is super important. Um, 
High-performing creative teams recognize that being gifted differently is a collective strength, that our weaknesses are opportunities to collaborate with those who are strong in areas that we're not. It's not a competition. We don't have to be intimidated by the successes of others. We can celebrate their wins, particularly when we've created a win-win environment for everybody. Identifying what you bring to the team instills confidence as you recognize the unique contribution your skill set allows you to make that no one else can. So identify what you're good at, identify what you're not good at, learn to admit there are areas you're weakest in because that's how you start to recognize who you need and why you need them. If admitting your weakness sounds counterintuitive to being successful or advancing your career, I want you to consider this. I guarantee you, Everyone around you is already 100% aware of your weaknesses, and they have been for a long time, probably as long as they've known you. So if you own up to an area you're weak in, it's not going to come as a surprise to them. They've probably had lots of conversations about it uh, around the water cooler without you. So being able to... Um, being able to collaborate with you, to approach you, to work with you, be celebrated and encouraged by you, man, that is going to be a fantastic experience. That is a gift that you can give. The benefit, I hope you can recognize, in taking this step, it's obvious. It changes the landscape completely. It's what Marcel Prost describes as, you know, when he says, you know, quote, seeing with new eyes. Creativity requires risk-taking. And the thing is, when you take a creative risk, you encourage others to do the same, whether you mean to or not. You free up those around you to take creative risks as well. This is where our list of gifts and abilities gets exciting because some people are willing to jump first and some people are willing to put their hand up and volunteer their idea first. And if that's you, then that's a role you need to play in your organization because there are others, maybe the person sitting right beside you and they also have an idea and it might be a great idea and they might want to share it, but they're nervous. Maybe they're full of doubt and whatever and they, they need you to break the ice. And once you do, you give them that little bit that they needed to have the confidence to share their idea. And together, you create just enough momentum that it opens the door for others. So play to your strengths, trust in the strengths of others. This is what Aristotle was talking about when he says, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Problem number four is sensors and self-defeating habits. Sensors are the bane of creativity. I hate mine with a passion. And I'm talking about the voices in our head that tell us that we're not smart enough or educated enough or capable enough to face the challenges in our life. They censor our creative intuition and they make us doubt ourselves. That's why we write these lists out, to shut the censors down. Because censors write a script that tells healthy, experienced people full of creative potential that they're old dogs that can't learn new tricks. Censors lie. Censors suck. You've heard censors your whole life without even knowing it. When somebody says, oh, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist, or they say, I don't want you to be disappointed if it doesn't work out, or sure, I had a dream when I was younger, but then there comes a, a time, you know, a day when you got to grow up. Those are all censors. Censors make people feel like they're smart for not trying. The solution, it's amazingly simple. If you want what you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. You need to be a lifelong learner. So learn something, anything. Take a course, take a risk, take a chance. It, it could be small. Ride a bike instead of drive to work. Uh, run instead of walk. Learn to play an instrument. Write a song, a story, a poem. Build something with your hands. Learn to cook a new recipe. Go for coffee with somebody instead of sitting at home watching TV. Inject 
change into your life. Be the instigator, the initiator. Instead of always feeling like change is being forced on you by life and technology or some external force, be the change agent in your own life because every action in our life creates a reaction. Movement, growth, evolution, all create momentum that builds, uh, begins to build and make change more possible than before. Stagnation, shrinking and fear it becomes a weight a ponderous weight tied around your neck or your ass it makes getting out of bed in the morning a chore being cheerful or respectful online or an impossible burden you couldn't possibly bear you know it becomes an, the elephant in the room of your life the benefit of doing this is discovering the awesome truth that a failure is just an opportunity to learn b if you want to be a lifelong learner, by definition, you're going to be failing at things your entire life. This is the this life philosophy, by the way, puts you in the company of people like Michael Jordan, Schwarzenegger, J.K. Rowling, Tolkien, and most importantly, probably, like millions of people you've never heard of, people who have taken a chance, invested in hope, stepped out of their comfort zone, fallen a gazillion times and kept getting back up, kept getting back up because they discovered that it's worth it. It makes life worth living. It makes relationships worth sacrificing for, trying, failing, learning, changing, discovering new ways of thinking and acting are all part of the process of growing. And for goodness sake, be patient with yourself. Be kind. You get this one chance to, this, to live this life. You know, make it a great frigging life. And the last one, problem number five, no destination, no direction, no plan. You know, a lot of people never get where they want to go because they've never figured out where they want to be. Don't let this be you. Change is inevitable. The speed and scope of change is going to impact every area of our lives. And in times like these, this exponential age, it's inescapable. I should confess, I'm one of those nerds who loves to geek out on the Lord of the Rings. I'll probably confess this in every episode at some point. I've read the books and I've watched the movie so many times I should be ashamed of myself. I'm not, but I, I could be. I'm sure, because I'm sure I could have accomplished great and mighty deeds in my life if I hadn't spent all of those hours lost in the fantasy of Middle Earth. <clears throat> but discussions about change always make me think of a scene from the movie. The Rohirrim had just survived the Battle of Helm's Deep, and they'd made it back to the Great Hall at Edoras, and Gandalf is counseling King Theoden to ride out and fight Saruman. And Theoden says, I would not risk open war. And Aragorn, Aragorn pipes up and says, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. The exponential age of change is upon you whether you would risk it or not. The acceleration is like nothing we've seen before in our lifetime, and it's impacting every area of our life. When I hear people try to argue for keeping things the way they've always been, my inner Lord of the Rings nerd wants to scream, change is upon you, whether you'd risk it or not. Um, somebody named Greg Reed, no nothing about who this guy is, but I saw a quote where he says, a dream written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down into steps becomes a plan, a plan backed by action becomes reality. I have made that a huge part of my life. The solution is to make a plan and to write it down. You have to make it real so that you can make it happen. Call it a vision statement, a mission statement, but you have to 
pick a destination so you can chart a course and break the journey down into measurable steps. The benefit is that you're going to have a way to measure your progress, a way to recognize the fruits of your labor, you know, a way to differentiate between which activities are good and which activities are best, between what you'd like to do and what you need to do. Because when you know where you're going, you can figure out how to get there. Man, I want you to be confident being you. Growing up, I was a quitter. I was a I was a serial quitter. I quit everything. I quit dozens of jobs and relationships. I remember this one moment at a track meet in high school. I'd signed up to complete in the 1500 meter, basically just so I could get the day off school. For a couple nights before the track meet, I tried half-assedly sort of to train myself. I figured we'd trot leisurely around the track a few times before sprinting the last hundred feet or so. But when the starting pistol went off, so did everybody else. I mean, they were running like super fast right from the start. I was forced to use all the energy I was saving for my final kick just to keep up with the pack into the second corner. So one lap into the race, I'd fallen so far back, an agonizing sense of loneliness and despair filled my soul. My eyes started to sing from the sting from the salty brine as my quitter's tears rose like a king tide and my mind started shrieking, this is ridiculous, this is unfair. The other runners are so mean. <laughs> There's only one thing I could do, man. I had to quit. But deciding to quit when you're running past a stand full of cheering moms and dads can be complicated. But I'd already been quitting for so many years at that point and instinctively knew exactly what to do. I screamed like a wild animal caught in a trap, clutched my leg and tumbled into the infield and began rolling and writhing in faux agony. I wasn't actually 100% sure where the hamstring was, but it seemed like a legit injury runners could get. So to cover my bases, I just groped and clutched my leg from stem to stern. In the midst of my Oscar-worthy performance, I kept stealing glances at the crowd. When it seemed like they'd all forgotten about me, I just slipped away into the shadows underneath the bleachers, adding another successful quit to an already impressive list. Now, as I look back on that period of my life, I realize I quit virtually everything because the situation seemed unfair. Apparently, I assumed life was supposed to be free from conflict and struggle and pain and failure and discouragement. So I felt sorry for myself and I quit in the hope that someone else would feel sorry for me too. Someone who would come over and tell me it was all going to be okay because they were going to make it okay for me. But then no one ever came. And I don't remember when things changed or how or why, but one day I realized I never quit anymore. I try and I try. I have that bias to action. I've become ridiculously tenacious and subscribe to this philosophy that persistence can be polite. And I will chase down leads and potential clients for weeks. I just actually had a principal. I ran into him for coffee and uh, I had probably sent, I mean, he said, hey, Ray, <laughs> sorry I never got back to you. I think he sent me like, 10 or 11 emails. He knew it. He knew how many times I'd contacted him and I'd been super polite, always happy, wishing him a great day. Hey, just checking in, whatever. And he booked me for this coming. I'm going there in a few weeks. So if you, you know, always being polite and happy and engaging, man, I have pivoted and reinvented myself and spun my skills into new revenue streams and career paths so many times it would make your head spin. But here's the pearl of wisdom I offer. No one is coming to make it better. If you want to dig deep and need to scream like a mad banshee at the top of your lungs as you refuse to throw in the towel, go for it. If you want to jump in head over heels to another business venture relationship, do it. No one's coming.
No one. No one can do it for you. No one cares how you do it. There is no formula. There's no guarantee that you're going to succeed. And I've learned that's the good news because it means it's in your hands. It's your life. It's your vision, your dream. No one can make it happen for you. No one can prevent you from making it happen. I mean, I've spent over 20 years developing my own creative skill set. I've used my creative capital to open doors that let me tour the world with my family for a year. I've, that have allowed me to perform on stages in front of thousands of people, to host TV shows, to produce albums, to become a published author and lead creative development workshops that have helped thousands of people develop strategies to make their dream real so they can make it happen. It's also led me to isolated communities, to small towns and schools with a few dozen students where I have the incredible experience of helping them find their voice so that they can share their story with others because I got over myself long enough to think about someone or something else. That's why I'm doing this podcast because you're unique. Your skills are necessary. Be confident being you. Talk to you next time. 